0: Hello, and welcome to The pre Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now welcome to the pre-med years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great guest today, someone who resonates a lot with me as an aerospace medicine physician working for NASA. We're going to talk about her non-traditional journey to med school and beyond. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. If you have not gone over to blueprintmcat.com yet and created a free account, which gives you access to their half-length diagnostic, their free full-length exam, their amazing study planner tool, and more. What are you waiting for? Go do that. As this episode comes out, we're in November, which means registration is open for 2024, the first half of 2024 in terms of MCAT dates. And if you are planning on taking the MCAT during that time, number one, go subscribe to the MCAT podcast that I do with Blueprint MCAT. And number two, go save a date. Remember, you need to get that date even if you aren't ready. You don't think you're ready to uh, register yet. You don't think you're ready to settle down on a date yet. You you need to go register for a date. So go do that and go to blueprintmcat.com. Create that free account today. Let's go ahead and say hello to our guest today, Dr. Natasha Cho. Again, she's an aerospace medicine physician at NASA. Dr. Natasha Cho, welcome to the Prima Dears. Thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to chat with you uh, and nerd out about space and NASA and all the super secrets that you guys have, (laughs) which we talked about earlier, there are none. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor?
1: I think it was probably somewhere in the middle of my undergrad career. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably because I had started you know, working in research labs and I think what that taught me was it's just as important to learn what you don't enjoy as it is to learn what you do enjoy, right? And so while I gained a lot of experience, um, doing undergrad research, which I think a lot of folks listening probably, um, have dipped their toe into. Um, I had a sense, just a gut feeling that, you know, it wasn't what I wanted to do long-term. Um, but at the same time, I got an appreciation for what those folks do. And I still, to this day, really appreciate, um, the fact that there are folks who devote their, their lives and careers to research. Um, but I started thinking as a biology major, which is pretty standard, right, for, for pre-med folks, what are my other options? Um, obviously medicine was a big one. Teaching is another one. Um, you know, maybe wildlife biologists working in the field in some other capacity would be, you know, the, some of the major standard pathways. Um, and I actually got, interested i'd always wanted to work at nasa and i wasn't sure when i majored in biology how those two things were going to converge like ever since i was little you know i I loved space and i think most kids go through the astronaut phase and i just you never you never grew out of it
0: why what what was it about it
1: um it just always fascinated me Mm -hmm. Uh, i think i remember seeing like um if folks remember the show 321 contact it was on pbs so public tv um It was a science show for kids in the 80s and there was a segment one day on astronauts and they were weightless and i was totally just fascinated with the concept of space and that you know there is this whole universe outside of earth's atmosphere um so my whole life i grew up thinking oh i'm gonna be an aerospace engineer because those are the only type of people i've ever heard of that work at nasa and i got to college and i was like man i i kind of suck at this and i don't like it right like i didn't love my engineering courses so Um, I thought really hard and I was like, Hey, I really liked biology in high school. So I, I want to focus on that. Um, so I switched like that same day, but I had this dilemma of like, how do I get to NASA? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, with biology, I didn't really have a sense that there were life science researchers or physicians that NASA actually hires to do research and work with, you know, humans in the human spaceflight program. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, but there are, and I got exposed to that more during a, a college internship called the NASA Academy. Um, and essentially it's a 10 week program. You get paired with a mentor, you do a little bit of research, you get Mm -hmm. some lectures, you do some tours of the NASA facilities, kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where I learned that there's this whole field called aerospace medicine. Um, and that is a medical specialty that if you get into med school, you got to do a, usually you have to do, at least on the civilian side, you have to do another residency first Mm -hmm. and then aerospace med, even though we call it a residency, it's after you've done a primary residency, it's kind of like a fellowship. But um, yeah, it's, it's legit. And it's been around since the 1950s officially, but you probably know this from being in the air force previously. We started practicing aerospace medicine back in world war one, when we started putting people in these contraptions called airplanes and they had a lot of crashes and people (laughs) died. And yeah, the uh, I guess it was the Army Air Corps at the time, right, mm-hmm. which yep. later became the Air Force, Yep. Um, sort of had a come-to-Jesus moment. And they were like, well, we need to figure out why this is happening and yeah. try to prevent it from happening. And they said, <laughs> we would like some folks, like maybe doctors and, and other people involved to investigate, you know, wh- what are we doing wrong? It mm-hmm. turns out a lot of things are due to human error. Um so aerospace med is about, you know, preventing really bad days like that from happening, um, yeah. but also optimizing performance for um, your patients who are usually pilots and astronauts. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they're really skilled operators who do not have time for medical conditions to interfere with their performance of duties, right? If you're mm-hmm. flying a fighter jet, you don't have time to have a seizure disorder in the pocket,
0: <laughs> no, you know? No time so, for that.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So those are the kind of things that we... Um, yeah. We do an aerospace med, and that's a very long-winded answer to your question yeah. of how I got I, I, <laughs> interested in medicine in general and aerospace.
0: Yeah, for some reason, I, I haven't really talked about aerospace medicine a, a bunch lately uh, or for a while. And then recently, I've been talking about it more just with random people and friends and people that I'm talking to. And, and the way that I generally... Uh, talk about aerospace medicine is, I'm like, if you go to your doctor, right? Your, your regular doctor, you work a desk job, you, you're a weekend warrior basketball player and and you, you sprain your knee, right? And you, you go to the doctor, he's like, go back to work. Here's, here's a script for physical therapy. Great, right? That's it. That, that's all you need. But myself as, as a flight surgeon uh, practicing aerospace medicine, well, I have to know like, what airframe are you flying? Uh, is it two engines, is it four engines, Is it a single engine fighter jet, like what's going on? And, and where I was stationed, we had, we were flying with heavy jets. And so these really big cargo planes, I'm like, those. Those if, it, if, if, if an engine goes out and you have to push full force on the rudder to keep the plane straight so you can come back around and land is your knee that you just sprained because you were playing basketball. Are you going to be able to do that?
1: Yeah, if definitely. the answer
0: is no, if I don't feel safe flying with you because you're not going to be able to keep the plane straight if we have an emergency, I'm going to ground you. You're not allowed to do your job, right? A normal yeah. doctor is not going to say, hey, you can't, you can't push that stapler in. Um, and so and people are like, oh, that, that makes a lot more sense, right? Now I understand. Right. So it's just a really cool uh, – I, I loved aerospace medicine. I think it's really cool. So you basically started with NASA as your end goal. Yeah. And you never let that go. <laughs> like, I, I'm getting yeah, there. Yeah,
1: I, I think, you know, some folks, I mean, the whole point of med school is to figure out what you want to specialize in, right? Like, once you've decided, yeah, like, I want to go down this road of uh, becoming, you know, a physician, Um, you just have to figure out what kind you want to be. And yeah. I, I came into med school already knowing I wanted to do aerospace. Um, yeah. We were, before we started recording, you were talking about the HPSP scholarship mm-hmm. and some of the other scholarships that are available right for the, um, from the military side. And I actually applied to HPSP and, um, you like thinking I was going to go the military route, but I was also a non-traditional student coming into yeah. med school. So I'd taken five years off between undergrad and med school, mm-hmm. um, working at NASA, um, in other capacities. And then I also joined the Peace Corps <laughs> and you'll find that like most people in aerospace have a very like circuitous route to how we got there. Um, yeah. As did I, but long story short, um, the military scholarships I think are great if you're interested in a military career. Um, mm-hmm. I guess coming out of Peace Corps, where I was, was it? It just felt like it was just the payback time was going to add more distance between me and NASA, which is where I ultimately wanted to be. Um, And so it wasn't the right fit for me, but, um, I know we have a lot of colleagues here who are active and, um, reserve status and have done HPSP and have had really good experiences. So I'd say, you know, stay open-minded. There's a lot of routes to aerospace.
0: Yeah. What, what for you was the, the, that non-traditional path? Why didn't you go straight from undergrad to med school to get to NASA faster? You obviously went to NASA, but, but as a a non-physician, what, what was that goal?
1: So yeah, in like full transparency, right? I didn't get into med school my first time. I didn't get into med school. Welcome my to the club. <laughs> yeah. Like it took three tries. And I've, okay. you know, I think we don't it's not something we talk about very often, right? Cause it's like shameful and embarrassing, I think, for some folks. But yeah, yeah like my MCAT scores were not great the first time around. Um and I think in hindsight, I also wasn't mature enough, right? Mm. And doing Peace Corps gave me a lot of, um, I think, perspective. Um, it takes you out of your bubble, um, even though both my parents are from overseas and I, I grew up traveling internationally, right? Peace Corps puts you in situations that um, you would not otherwise have. You're just, you don't have the same um, environment, the context, you live under a different set of rules in a foreign country that um, you know doesn't have a lot of privileges and luxuries that the United States has. So. Um, I think that really helped shape me. Um, and when I applied to med school that third time after living overseas and doing community, um, public health, um, for the most part, I had a lot more confidence, um, both in my abilities and my, my knowledge of patient situations.
0: Yeah. Do you think ultimately that is, is what made the difference with your application in terms of confidence or was it, was it mostly a numbers game with your your mcat score.
1: It was probably a combination, right? Um I did my mcat score's expired while I was in p score, so I I took the mcat a second time um and did better and then again like the I think the confidence and in, in my abilities um and just having time to mature and grow like yeah. You know, you're in your 20s and you think you're grown up, but <laughs> there's still a lot of life to learn, um, especially when you're outside your comfort zone. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was both.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's not not the typical teenager who knows it all. Like, okay, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, so you, you go to med school. You have this goal of NASA and aerospace medicine, which I'm assuming, based on going through this process myself... Not a lot of people are aware of. They're like, what do you mean aerospace medicine? I I'm looking at the ACGME residency programs and what what is that? How how did you navigate those waters knowing you had this end goal in mind but but also potentially not finding mentors at least theoretically I'm assuming locally that that could help you.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So Coming, it's funny because I think now under the ACGME specialties, um, it's listed first, right, alphabetically speaking. <laughs> so I think more people are seeing it now, which is great, and there's yeah. a lot more interest, especially with commercial space and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, at the time, I knew if I was going to go the civilian training route, um, I was going to have to choose another residency first, mm-hmm. um, and most folks especially when you're in undergrad as well as med school have had not heard of it when i was going through i literally had a resident tell me one night over call he's like so what do you want to go into and i said aerospace med and like they had their back to me because they were really busy you know charting at a computer didn't even turn around and just without missing a beat said are you sure you're not just making that up (laughs) that's legit dude like Go to vabpm.org It's been a specialty since 1953. <laughs> um, so you have to be a, star- a self-starter. Um, and so I I had made contacts through previously working at NASA, but let's say you didn't have that, right? Is
0: is that I'd, a pun intended? You made contact
1: <laughs> at NASA? <laughs> no, it wasn't, but it is now. I like it. Um, Let's say you know you you didn't have that prior life at, at NASA as an intern like I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other recommendation I would make is get involved right away with the Aerospace Medical um, Association. Yeah. We call it asthma for short, but it's <laughs> A-S-M-A, yep. not asthma like the disease. Um, within asthma, there are a ton of – I mean, it's like the uber nerds of medicine. I mean, there are sub-sub-specialties like aerospace neurology mm-hmm. and – Aerospace dentistry. I mean, like anything you can think of. Um, but that's the go-to conference every year for folks who want to get FaceTime and network and just meet more people in the field. Yeah. And they have um, a constituent organization known as AMSRO, which is the Aerospace Medical Student and Resident Organization. So there are a ton of opportunities. I think it's uh, amsro.org, AMSRO.org um, is their website ton of opportunities for students to engage with each other with each other with folks like myself if we do career you know spotlight seminars things like that mm. um and then also some potential research opportunities so yeah. that's that's an easy way to sort of get connected to the community
0: yeah uh, my my one amsa story i went to the AM- amsa conference uh just one year i was allowed to go when i was active duty and uh yeah. it was in anchorage which was cool i hadn't been to alaska oh, that's before awesome. And, uh, 2011,
1: so I think I was there. It
0: was 2011. Yeah. 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 I was active 2010 to 2015. So it was 2011. Um, on the flight home, the only time ever where the flight attendant comes on is their doctor on board. Right. And, and I know lots of the people that were just leaving the conference and I, I'm the uh, Internship trained young flight doc. I'm like, I'm not raising my hand. I know there are cardiologists on this plane, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's my AMSA story. Uh, so, that's funny. you're going through this process, right? You're you're a medical student. You're exposed to all these rotations. You're like, that's great, that's great, that's great. I'm interested in aerospace medicine. How do you, as you're going through that process, and, and maybe a student listening to this, similar to me, is like, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. This is dumb. I don't I don't need to learn pediatrics. As you're going through that process, you're rotating on all your required, uh, required rotations. Are you soaking it all in, knowing that aerospace medicine is kind of this conglomeration? Are you kind of just coasting through, knowing that I want to do aerospace medicine and this is impertinent? How did you, you go through that process mentally?
1: So for me, I kind of knew, A, I knew that I had to pick an, a, a primary specialty first, right? Yeah. And the the rationale for that on the civilian side of the training pathways is, um, especially because the civilian options are, are working at NASA, working at commercial space companies and things like that, you really need that clinical foundation first from regard. What, from whatever your primary specialty is. And so, yeah, like I did have to, you know, really remind myself of that because aerospace assumes you have a solid terrestrial medicine foundation, mm-hmm. right? And we are taking that and we are applying it in this abnormal environment. So if you yep. think about it, Aerospace is kind of the opposite of terrestrial medicine Yep. Um, for that reason. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm
0: sure you heard this language. I, I, I don't know who told me this language. Like aerospace medicine, like normal medicine is uh, <clears throat> abnormal physiology in a normal environment. Aerospace medicine is normal physiology in an abnormal environment.
1: 100%. Yeah. Yep. And actually, if you throw commercial space in the mix now, it's becoming abnormal physiology in an abnormal environment. So yeah. how do you, Medically certify those people to fly, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's all these gazillionaires, <laughs> old who are like people with 80s, high cholesterol, <laughs> right? Who, yeah, have medical conditions that mm-hmm. you know NASA would not accept, or um, you know, I think on Inspiration Four, right, we had someone with a prosthetic leg. Or, um, you know, any number of conditions that cumulatively increase your risk for spaceflight. Yeah. Um, and so something we really teach our residents at UTMB, the University of Texas Medical Branch, which uh, is the aerospace med residency that I graduated from, um, is that we're incorporating more aeromedical certification cases and getting them to practice presenting those in front of mm. a board. Um because it's not easy, right? Like this is, even though NASA's been around for 60 years, we're still learning lessons, and so are the commercial folks. Um, and it's it's hard, sometimes you don't have the data to back up your decisions, and you have to base it on other data that's out there from places like the Air Force, or the Navy, or the FAA. Yeah. Um, so it's about managing risk. Yeah. yeah,
0: What what residency, what primary specialty did you end up choosing?
1: So I ended up doing emergency medicine, which I loved. Um, I, and this is another thing I would tell students when you're going through your, your ward rotations, third and fourth year is really listen to your gut, right? I, I was terrified of surgery and that was my very first ward rotation. It was (laughs) transplant surgery. Um, I was like, I'm going to die. People are going to be mean. Like, you know, those guys ended up writing my residency recommendations. They were so awesome. They broke the mold in terms of, you know, your stereotypical surgeon, Super approachable, really into education. And I think one of my preceptors has gone on to win like a ton of teaching awards. That's awesome. Um, so stay open minded is mm-hmm. one thing. Listen to your gut. If you are not loving your rotation at the time, I think that's a pretty good sign that it's probably not the specialty for you. Um, and I think what my gut was telling me was I didn't love impatience words or rotations. I didn't love rounding. Um, And I, but I also didn't like outpatient clinic. I was like, Mm -hmm. well, let's here's, you know, the OR was kind of cool, but I was like, I I like surgery, but I, I'm pretty sure I don't want to become a surgeon. That's two very different things. Right. Um, and I was like, well, here's hoping like, I like the ED and I did, and I kind of knew I had an inkling, right. Again, gut feeling that I did. I liked the procedures. I liked the immediate feedback that I was getting from patients based on interventions that were, you know, uh, recommended or prescribed um and so that was appealing to me and i also really liked the fact that you're kind of a jack of all trades you know a little bit about a lot of things yeah. and so when you do get that in-flight emergency call right you, you're kind of hosed when you're um when you're trained in emed and aerospace because if other people respond to the call and everybody trades notes on like, what's your background, everyone steps away. They're like, Oh, (laughs) even there's like, you got it. Like, I'm just going to go back and sit down. Like, no, like more hands like can never hurt. I genuinely like would appreciate your assistance. Yeah. But, um, so it's been really great, um, Mm -hmm. to have that combination of things. Yeah. That being said, I would, Remind folks that in my day-to-day job as an aerospace doc, EMED is maybe ten percent of what we do. Yeah. Um, right. It's it's like what you participated in in terms of the launch and landing preparedness and disaster management uh, response. Um, you know, a bad day is few and far between in spaceflight as it is in aviation. But when those bad days happen, they're really bad. Um, yeah. And so, even for an EMED doc, there may not be anything that you could do. Um, Whereas when we're talking about presenting medical cases to an aeromedical board, right, that's all like internal medicine, Mm -hmm. physiology, you know, and some folks really love that stuff. Some people find that minutiae sort of exhausting, but aerospace medicine sounds cool and sexy because there's space in the the (laughs) name, um, but it is longitudinal care. So I don't want folks to be misguided that like EMED is the only pathway, um, to, to aerospace by any means. I mean, we've had folks come into the specialty from urology, neurology, OBGYN, surgery, et cetera. So, yeah. and, and definitely internal med and family
0: med. Yeah, do you, do you feel looking back now on your career in aerospace medicine, do you think you would have been a better aerospace medicine doc with uh, internal medicine training versus emergency medicine? Or it just maybe took you, a little bit more research and, and digging than, than a typical doc or internal medicine doc versus uh, emergency medicine?
1: That's a great question for me personally, knowing, you know, what I enjoy learning. Um, I would say no. Um, and that's another thing that I think is important for students, right? Like don't make decisions based on what you think, you know, NASA needs or, or what you think is going to be what your employer wants to see. Because if you don't love what you're doing, you're not going to be as good at it. Hundred percent. The day will never seem so long. Hundred percent. Right? <laughs> so yep. again, listen to your gut. What do you love? And let's you know be transparent. I'm sure this has come up before in your show, right? Like med school is hard. Residency's harder. So even though you're going to be doing a specialty you enjoy, like it's going to be long days and long hours and long nights. Um, but in the end, um, are you going to be grateful for the training that you have and sort of, you know, take um, pride in that information and applying it to patients. Yeah. And another thing that um, a mentor of mine has said in the past, if folks are interested in doing aerospace and figuring out what residency specialty to do before that, if they're going the civilian route, is what would you do if aerospace wasn't even an option, right? Just take aerospace off the table altogether for folks who are really gung-ho about this is what they know they want to do ultimately. Um, And that's really how you decide.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's the perfect way to do it. So you, you go and you do emergency medicine uh, for residency, typically three years, sometimes four years, depending on, on programs. Did you go straight into your aerospace medicine residency after that?
1: I did. Yeah. And That's the typical path, but by no means is that, you know, the only way we've, um, we've accepted folks who have sort of cut their teeth in the outside community first, um, and then applied to the program. Um, and I've, I've mentioned the civilian side a lot. Um, and I just want to make sure that we talk about the, the military route as well, right? Because in the military, um, you can go straight into aerospace medicine residency, um, we call them Rams, right? Residents yep. in aerospace medicine, um, without having done a primary specialty first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's based on the, I don't know if they've done studies or, you know, it's based on the needs of the the department of defense. I think they're comfortable with that model. Yeah. Um, so there is a pathway, um, to do that on the, on the military side.
0: Yeah. And, and for the most part, right. Having been one of those people, although I, I didn't do my, my, uh, aerospace medicine residency i was i was uh, going to and then uh, as as we were talking beforehand i've mentioned on the podcast before uh, i got grounded with my health issues and and they they were like you can't fly anymore so uh, they would have let me uh, i asked uh, we explored doing the residency still even even though i was uh, kind of permanently grounded they would have let me do it but um yeah i think having gone through it i i think the one the one caveat of having just my internship training and taking care of these people is that they're healthy people right for the most part so if they're not healthy they're probably not a rated flyer and not seeing me and so um yeah i think that's the the one the one thing that that helps quote unquote only having my my internship training so um i don't know what it's like the the Aerospace medicine residency in the military. The first year is typically your MPH, and then and then a couple of years of, of the aerospace medicine. Is that the same on the civilian side as well?
1: It is the same. Um, and one thing that's important, um, and I only know this because I'm I'm part time faculty at UTMB now, is um, the MPH is not a hard and fast requirement, mm-hmm. but there are some core courses that constitute public health, um, you know, education and training. Mm-hmm. So there are other programs that um, in the past, for example, Wright State University was another civilian uh, option for aerospace med training. They had an MS, but they still had these five core courses. And I think it's epidemiology, biostatistics, travel tropical medicine, environmental health, and maybe health policy, um, if I'm not mistaken. So those five core courses are required as part of some type of master's degree um, that gives you exposure to population and and public health. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay so I mean, we've, we've talked all this time and we haven't really said like, what are you doing day in and day out? Are, are you on the space shuttle, like hanging out on the international space station, taking care of people? <laughs> like, Everyone, yeah. i like, I was a flight surgeon. They're like, you operated on airplanes. I'm like, no, those are mechanics. Um, it's what? <laughs> such a total misnomer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's just a cool, cool name for a, a job. So what what are, yeah. what does your day-to-day life look like as a, a NASA aerospace medicine doc?
1: Yeah. So to break it down for folks, cause I didn't understand this when I was in undergrad, uh, flight surgeon does not mean you fly in space, nor does it mean <laughs> you perform surgery on the ground or in space. Right. It's kind of like the term surgeon general, that person's yep. usually not a journal general and they're not a general, uh, sorry, they're it. not a surgeon. Yep. Um, so the term surgeon comes from again, like back in, you know, early wartime, um, terms from the military, right? A surgeon, if you think back to like civil war was like the only medical position on on the battlefield. And so that term kind of stuck. So when we say flight surgeon, we mean the physician on the ground who is essentially the PCP for folks who fly for a career. Um, So yeah, it's longitudinal care. It's primary care of flyers of pilots and astronauts. So day to day I work at NASA, so I mean, there's a lot of red tape and I sit in a lot of meetings. Like that's the reality. Um, the other reality is, you know, every job has has things you don't like to deal with. Not every job has a space station. So yep. that is cool. <laughs> I don't personally get to fly to space station, but my yep. patients do. And yep. so my job is to make sure they're optimized from a health standpoint before yeah. they fly. Um, I sit through uh, various medical training that we give them to take care of themselves because there's no requirement for a doc to be on space station. Yeah. Um, so they learned basic kind of EMT level um, of stuff like putting in sutures, doing self lobotomy for research. Um, and, you know, we direct them from the ground. I like to say NASA was, uh, was early tele- on the telemed <laughs> before it was cool, like way before COVID, right? <laughs> Think about it. We've been doing space medicine, yeah. slash aerospace medicine since the 1960s.
0: So, so um, you're zooming with patients who are zooming, yeah. literally zooming <laughs> yeah. through space at oh, 26,000 like miles yeah. an hour.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, and so on another, so I don't have typical days, but I have typical weeks. Um, yeah. Some of it, like I said, in, involves, you know, sitting in on crew training classes for medical content. Another day, I might have a shift in mission control where you're monitoring the crew when they're in flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another day I might be supporting um events at the the pool that you're talking about, which for folks um listening is uh, we call it the NBL or the neutral buoyancy lab. It's essentially this giant pool where we practice our spacewalks before folks um go into flight. Yeah. Um when they're in flight, I do a lot more shifts on mission control. Um so I'm much more focused on different meetings, but that are specific to um the crew that's actually in space at that time for that six month period or so. And then when they get back uh, to earth, um, we oversee a lot of their, um, rehabilitation and conditioning. Yeah. So how how
0: many doctors can just say when my patients get back to earth, like just that alone should be Mike's drop. You want my job, don't you?
1: (laughs) So, and there's, there's this meme out there. Um, but I've seen where it says, you know, describe what you do for a living badly, and I have people guess <laughs> what it is. Yeah. And so my response is always, um, I get my patients really, really high, and then when they come down from their high, I put them in rehab. <laughs> <And> that's basically <laughs> how it works.
0: <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, all that muscle atrophy—they need their rehab. That—that's um, that, fantastic. And, and again, having been a, a former flight doc. Uh, I loved that world. Uh, I dreamt of, of potentially going to NASA and doing that kind of stuff too, uh, until they grounded me. Um, I, I wonder, you, you pro- how long have you been at NASA now as um, an aerospace medicine doc? About
1: eight and a half years. Yeah.
0: Eight and a half years. So 2011, you said you were at asthma. Was that during that? Were you a student then?
1: I was an EMED resident.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. So I was going to say uh, because one of my duty stations, I was doing astronaut physicals. Um, and I was like, Oh, I wonder if you've reviewed any of my, my physicals coming in. Um, but yeah, I was, I was before you. Um, so yeah. you're like, who's this, who's this Dr. Gray that doesn't know what they're doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Luckily they're pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, so when, when you look at your job, you look at other physicians who are out there doing their thing, maybe some of your, your resident uh, colleagues out there working, and you see what you get to do day in and day out. Uh, and we have the audience of, of pre-med students trying to figure out what they want to do. What's, what's your pitch for, for aerospace medicine and coming and hanging out at NASA?
1: So for aerospace med, I'd say there's never been a better time to get involved in the field, right? Especially, like I said, the commercial um, side is growing. And so...
0: And and commercial, just for someone who doesn't know, right? SpaceX and Virgin Galactic, all of the the civilians paying to go to space.
1: Right. Space, space. Axiom Space. There's a lot of them that are popping up. Um, So it's a great time to get involved because we definitely need solid docs who have a really strong clinical foundation to help Mm. medically certify Um, folks, as well as, you know, come up with contingency plans um, for in-flight, you know, uh, emergencies should that occur. Um, So I think it's great in that respect. There's pros and cons to every specialty, right? I would say, you know, some of the downside of aerospace med is that it falls under the umbrella of preventive medicine, which I think makes sense given what we've talked about, right? Like you do all your homework upfront to make sure your your patient doesn't have issues when they're flying because you've, try to minimize those as much as possible before they fly. Um, so, but because we fall under PrevMed, right? Like you're probably not going to make as much money <laughs> as you would in other specialties. Yeah. Um, but that being said, if you work at least for NASA or for the government, that makes your, if folks are worried about getting sued, you know, as a physician, it's much less likely when you're working on the government side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of that is I have no idea. And I don't think even the commercial space companies know um mm-hmm how to legally, medical legally protect physicians that they hire. Some of them don't even know what to look for, right? Like a lot of these CEOs of commercial space companies are engineers and may not understand the concept of board certification. You know, they may think, (laughs) and they care maybe a little bit
0: less about risk because that's what got them there in the first place.
1: So, you know, if you end up getting trained in aerospace medicine, if you sign up to work at a commercial space company, you need to make sure and sit down with their legal team and their human resources team and be like, hey, like, do you guys cover malpractice? What, you know, what type of tail coverage might I have, et cetera, because the risk is much higher, right? You're dealing with billionaires who, you know, are trying to protect their space flight. You know, they've got their own objectives. It's very different from the commercial side where your patients um, are public servants. And so- They have, you know, their main objective is is safety and science um, and getting the job done. So a lot of different things to consider based on where you might end up working.
0: Yeah. I, I would love to hear uh, your odds, um, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years for physicians at a uh, lunar outpost, uh, physicians on a uh in a space hotel um physicians potentially on their way to mars um to to go colonize mars how far away do you think we are from from physicians obviously for for our specific audience for uh the need for physicians to be extraterrestrial for lack of a better term
1: yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good question. Right. Um, and I don't want to speculate and, and give you like hard numbers because I don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's definitely been one point of view is, oh, the further out we go, we should send docs. Yeah. Um, and I think the the first thought that a lot of folks have to that um, statement is, well, if you only send one doc, what if it's the doc who gets sick? Yeah. Right. Do you send two docs? Do you send two of everybody? You know, um, that weight and, and mass starts to add up like really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been discussions about what that would look like. Um, I will say, you know, what we're doing uh, right now for missions that NASA works on is still training, training crew on uh, medical procedures that they can administer themselves with the guidance um, remotely of physicians on the ground. Um, and also consi- taking into account uh, the consideration of communication delays for longer missions like Mars where their medical care is gonna need to be more autonomous. So yeah, we are aware of a lot of those issues. Um, that being said, right, I think there's a lot of interest in all this stuff, but it's going to take a lot of time for those to become a reality. So folks are working on it. Um, but exactly how it will look, uh, is still TBD.
0: Yeah. For the student listening to this potentially interested in, in aerospace medicine now that we've, we've been chatting about it, uh, where should they go look to, to start their, their research and, and journey?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So aerospace, I can maybe send you some links. I don't know if you have show notes that you Mm -hmm. post afterwards, but, um, aerospace medical association for sure. AMSRO we talked about, um, if you Google UTMB aerospace medicine, um, they just revamped their website. So there's a lot of information there as well. Um, those are probably the, the three places I would start.
0: All right. There you have it again, Dr. Natasha Cho, aerospace medicine physician at NASA talking about her journey to medical school. Amazing journey, amazing story. Hopefully this gave you a little bit of inspiration, some motivation, some understanding. There is no one direct path to medical school. And when you have a dream, you go and you chase it and you figure it out. And that is what Dr. Cho did on her journey to becoming a NASA astronaut doctor let's call it what it is she's an awesome astronaut doctor i hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com i hope you have a great week we'll see you next time here on the pre-med years this is med ed media